Ready to boost sales and grow your business without the BS? Welcome to the Business Growth Show. I'm Sam Dunning, a digital marketing, sales, and business growth evangelist. Tune in and subscribe today as I'll be interviewing business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. We'll be sharing actionable tips across marketing, sales, and growth without the BS to help you skyrocket your business. And welcome back to a fresh episode of the Business Growth Show. Delighted to be joined by my friend John Foshi today. John is the co-founder and chief revenue officer at Porter Logistics. They offer flexible third-party logistics services to startups right through to large-scale enterprise clients. John, a warm welcome, sir. How's it going, mate? Hi. Thanks for having me on, Sam. Really, really, really appreciate it. No worries, dude. So this is going to be a hugely valuable episode, I am sure, for both for myself and everyone that's tuning in today. So we're talking all about how you can bootstrap a startup. Um, we're cutting out the bullshit. We want to actually get in because I know, John, you've actually done it yourself with your partner. You've built it from the ground up. Um, so you've been there. You've done it. Um, I haven't. I came into a business fairly later uh, once it had been developed. So I, I came on board as a founder a few years in. So this is going to be really really useful um so we talk all about how um things to think about how you can leverage your marketing how can you leverage your sales and perhaps there's going to be a lot of things in fact i'm sure there will that people don't necessarily think about until they actually get stuck in stuck into the nuts and bolts and the nooks mm-hmm. and crannies of, of building a business so first things first john what do we need to think about before we even start before we even get stuck into our business what should be what, what should we be planning for you know, I think the first thing I would advise is if you're reading, you know, management books and Peter Drucker and Good to Great, Zero to One, you know, put them down. Uh, <laughs> you know, the consultant, I, I come from the consulting world. You know, there are a lot, there's a lot of great advice for organizations that have already existed for, you know, 50 years. They've got a billion dollars on the PL. Uh, they've got huge organizations supporting them. You know, when you're bootstrapping a startup, you know, you need to throw all the rules out the window and really, you know, get back to basics. You know, I think uh, starting a starting a company on one's own is really, really hard. The vast majority of, uh, you know, great companies usually started with two or at least three people, truly a, a founding team. And so I think, you know, if you're thinking about starting a company and you're looking for a partner, uh, you really need to have a lot of thought into the partnership, what the, each of you bring to the table. Ideally, you have complementary skill sets, and most importantly, you trust each other. Um, ultimately, you want to think about what does the management team ideally need to be good at, need to think about what your skill set is, and then how do you two fit together? My background is uh, management consulting, but specifically in marketing strategy, marketing analytics, marketing measurements, kind of on the technology side as well. So my role as the chief revenue officer was sort of a natural fit, right? Because it fit my skill set. Where I was weak or weaker, you know, comparatively was, you know, financials, uh, uh, creating the business plan, um, thinking about uh, cash flow, thinking about runway, um, having, you know, financial connections in terms of, you know, raising money. And that's where my partner, Rob, is our CEO uh, and a close friend of mine from uh, college, you know, ultimately decided that we didn't really have any overlapping skill sets. We both think very differently, which, you know, invites conflict at times. But at the end of the day, if you're a management team and you both agree with each other all the time on everything, the odds of your success are going to be much, much lower. 
uh, ultimately good outcome comes through productive conflicts and then, you know, being able to resolve those amicably, uh, you know, and sort of get through to, uh, to an ultimately what, what the market wants. Yeah. 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 It makes sense. So do you think you, you mentioned there having, having almost, um, cause in your case, John, you had a co-founder. Do you think mm-hmm. everyone needs someone else that they can bounce ideas off that perhaps covers strengths where they've got weaknesses and someone that can basically like you said slap you into shape if, if you're perhaps not not really too sure on a certain subject and you think one idea is great when someone might have kind of strengths in other areas and kind of would be back in in line uh 100 and i think history proves that out i mean everybody thinks steve jobs when they think apple but everybody forgets that he had steve wozniak right? Mm. Jobs was the visionary. Wozniak was the technology guy. Everybody mm. thinks that Mark Zuckerberg, right, was the you know true founder of Facebook. But if you even watch The Social Network, the whole movie is premised on the fact that he had a partner or two, you know, yep. depending on who's interpreting it, you know, whether they were treated <laughs> well or not. But, you know, a lot of these great, you know, entrepreneurs that are celebrated across the globe, they all had co-founders that really brought something different to the table. Zuckerberg was a coder. Uh, what's his face? I can't even remember his name. He was the financial guy. Steve Jobs, the visionary, Wozniak, the tech guy. So I really believe in that uh, at minimum one co-founder, potentially even three. And I really believe that uh, you have to both think very differently. You need to bring different skill sets to the table and that's ultimately going to you know, enable you to build a more productive company. Interesting. Okay. And and playing to your strengths by the sounds of it, because you said you, you knew that you were strong in marketing and you knew that your partner was, was good in sales. So that's that almost sounds like a winning combination. If you've got those two things nailed, then that's that's going to be a good starting point. Exactly. Exactly. You have to have someone who uh, who has the big ideas and you have to have someone who covers the details. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Nice. Okay. And then pushing it forward. So when I've talked about starting up businesses on the podcast with past guests, there's been all sorts of kind of talk about when you should focus in on a product or service. Um, and a lot of the a lot of the things that seem to ring through is it needs to be something that you're either passionate about the product or the outcome that it provides for your customer. Are you kind of the same, John, that it needs to be something like that? Otherwise, there's no longevity in, in, in it. Or when, when someone's thinking of starting a, a business like you have, do you, what what are some of the things they need to kind of bear in their mind sure. to make sure it has got a long term um, sustainable yeah. mindset? You know, I'll uh, I'll talk about passion and product in just a second, but I think sure. thinking for the long term, one of the things that really doesn't get covered in a management book or that people don't think of is when you're raising money and trying to bootstrap the company, what direction you want to go. There's really two options. One, you can actually try to bootstrap it yourself, which is dipping into your own cash reserves, hitting up a friend, a family member, uh, ex-colleagues, you know, so on and so forth. You can go that route. It's going to take you a long time to raise the money. It's going to be considerably harder and more difficult on you. Uh, but the upside is you know, you'll ultimately control the company for much longer if you do end up taking institutional rounds. Mm. Um, you know, the pro is, again, you'll re- retain control farther into the future. You know, the downside is if your startup goes to zero and 90% of startups do end up failing, you have to be okay with the idea of looking your your mom, your friend, your dad, your ex-boss, hey, 
I lost all your money and you got to come hat in hand. And some people can't handle that stress, right? Like, and that's totally fine. Everyone's different. Everyone has different priorities. Sure. Um, the other option is go the institutional route. I want to go VC, you know, maybe I'm pre-revenue. I've got an idea or I've got a concept off the ground. You can go to VC. They're going to take a much bigger chunk up front. And it's likely after round two or three, you're going to lose control of the board. But um, you're going to be able to scale faster. You're going to have a little bit bigger war chest to start with and to invest in and make mistakes. Um, and if it does go to zero, you know, I'm not saying that it doesn't, it wouldn't hurt, but at the end of the day, you don't have a personal relationship. And so it's a business transaction. You know, you just sort of wave, wave to each other as you pass each other in the night and, you know, it's no harm, no foul. So it sounds like it's a minor thing, but you should really, really give consideration and understand the implications of, do I try to bootstrap it? It's going to be much harder on myself. Uh, you're going to put yourself through some pain and it's going to take a long time or longer time, excuse me, to scale. Or do I go that institutional route and uh, maybe speed up, right, progress, but, you know, maybe give up some things on the back end? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a tough one, right? And even if you think you want to go the funding route, getting VC money isn't that easy as far as I know. So it's... Correct. VC is not guaranteed. No, it's not guaranteed. Um, You know, there's a lot of a lot of it is network. um, A lot of it is polish. You know, VCs have an idea of um, one of the things that VCs don't talk about. You know, they want to believe in the product. They want to believe that you're very, um, you know, revolutionary, right, in whatever you're doing. But the other thing that they're thinking of is, uh, is this person backable is he or she somebody that i can go take on a roadshow to you know a private equity fund a growth equity fund somewhere like longer down the line with bigger pockets because ultimately that's how i as a vc i'm going to make my money right i'm going to get bought out and so one of the things they're thinking of is is this person polished can i put them in front of a big room uh ultimately can i really sell them and the company at a later date so um Again, one of those things, I know this is sort of the the no BS podcast where I'm trying to provide some context of things that you don't you don't really hear think, in the management books. Yeah, I think you've you've laid down the both options quite nicely, really, because you've said, look, there's a lot of stress and a lot of things could go wrong if you fund it yourself. because um, yep. if you're taking other people's money ultimately, if it all goes to 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 dress, then you've got to explain to them when, when everything's gone south. Um, exactly. Then likewise, if you go the venture capitalist route, you've you've got to lose a potential big amount of the percentage of ownership of the company and hand that over to whoever takes it on board. So good things to consider. Um, okay, and then once we've once we've nailed down what way we want to go in terms of actually funding this thing, how do we go about? Um, and perhaps we can keep this kind of fairly short and sweet before we get into the nuts and bolts of marketing and sales. How do we go about kind of really planning our idea? And I know you you were going to come on to kind of thinking a long-term mindset and stuff like that. So yeah. what things should we think about before we actually kick this thing off and kind of get stuck into it full-time? Or do we go full-time? Do we keep part-time our, our, our nine-to-five job? You know, I think um, the trap that founders uh, fall into is that to be an entrepreneur, you do have to have at some level a little bit of an ego and a little bit of confidence, right? That says, you know, I'm going to create something out of nothing. The trap that you fall into, though, for that type of personality is I have an idea of what I want the company to be and what I think people will want. 
And a lot of founders fall in the trap of this is my idea, and they keep trying to push the company in their original idea or conception. What mm. you should be doing is, what does the market want? I'm listening to my customers. I may have an idea. I may have a great idea, but when I float it to potential customers or we get our first couple in, they're giving me feedback that like, yeah, this is like nice, but you know what would be really cool, right, is, is X or Y and sort of being able to put your ego aside, be able to actually listen to the market and form your company that way as opposed to thinking that you've got the idea all figured out before you actually – go build the company. So you have to have some structure, you have to have a thesis, you have to have an idea. But my advice to any early stage founder would be, listen, listen, shut up. You know, I know like you're enamored with yourself and your pitch deck and, you know, everything you've gone on the road and told people with, but listen to customers. You may find answers that you maybe weren't expecting. Um, a good example is, you know, we had a good idea of what our pricing model was going to be. It was going to be by the item. It was going to be revolutionary. Uh, it turns out nobody wanted that. Right. So they, they loved our concept. You know, we got validation of our concept when we sort of floated the idea. People said, oh, my God, that's 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 brilliant. Like, I can't believe no one's doing that. And that that was validation that the idea at least was good. But when we got into the actual execution of it, you know, maybe what what we thought or how it could be executed was actually much different than what what resonated with, with customers. So my biggest advice would be listen, put your ego aside and listen. Love that point. Something I rant on about all the time, actually, when it comes to web design, digital marketing in that front is yep. that flipping it to to this is that people often, when it comes to their own sites, will design it on what they think looks great. So they'll be like, yeah, this website's going to look good because I, I personally like this design and I've seen all these sites that are really, really cool. When ultimately, just like you've said there, John, it, it matters what the market thinks. So it matters what your potential clients, your ideal customers that are actually going to be using the, the site or in this case, the product of your business, it matters what they think because they're going to be the ones using it. You're not the customer. You're not the one that's going to be dealing with them. You're not going to be talking to sales. You're not going to be buying this product or making inquiries. So that's that's such sound advice. Is there, um, how would you advise people actually go about doing that in a tangible way? Should they bring up an MVP and then start offering that to prospects or is there a, a strategy that you recommend? Yeah, so I think before you even get to that step, I would... Uh... Schedule some time with friends and family, mentors, um, and ultimately try to set up some some interviews to actually sort of pitch the idea and just sort of use them as a sounding board. Uh, mm. You know, you know that the uh, idea is not really developed. You know, it could be a vague concept or it could be close to developed. But at the end of the day, you really want to uh, talk to people in your network. Uh, to get feed, feedback and validation that it, that in fact is is something good. I mean, I think a lot of people, like I said, they just sort of are enamored with their own idea and they just bull through it without ever getting validation. It's something that people want. Um, you know, I think it's also important to make sure that you interview people who are ultimately going to be your customers. So, like, sure. yes, you get some level of feedback from mom and dad, but you have to also consider that. Uh, they're biased, right? Your friends, your family, your personal network, they're going to be less uh, or they're going to be reticent to ultimately tell you that, you know, that idea is trash, right? Or, you know, that's some, maybe, you know, hey, that's kind of good. Maybe you should look over here. Well, yeah, they they love you, right? And your friend is such a good point. And I was having a bit of a debate again, bring it back to digital marketing. Someone was saying to me, well, you could just interview your friends and family about 
um, launching a website or a digital project was like, yeah, like just like you've said quite lightly there, John, they're, they're going to be biased, aren't they? They like you, but well, they probably like you. Exactly. They're going to give you, they're always going to have that spin where they're going to give you more positivity than they should do. Whereas if you yeah. interview strangers, our potential customers, they're going to be raw. They're going to cut out the BS and get straight to the point you would have thought. Yeah, you, you should really seek out people that you don't know. Maybe they're friends of friends of friends they're in your network, or maybe they're just cold outreach. But um, I would very much stress that you have to be very cognizant of removing bias from that um, ideating process. Otherwise, it's just going to be a self-reinforcing um, narrative. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, yes, and then I think what 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 was the second part of your question? I can't. I can't remember. Yeah, so we were talking about bringing up an MVP. So you, yeah. you mentioned customer interviews, and then we were talking about kind of actually, well, my in my sense, I was saying, how do you know it's it's going to have a long term value? And I guess yeah. that kind of wraps up what you what you're getting to now. Yeah, I think you know, for an MVP, you have to. Um, you really have to put some thoughts into you. Well, you can't, let me start with this. You can't build everything flexibly. You can't build everything with, with the mindset that ultimately you can just change it later, right? Because that just means you're just going to scrap it and start over again, which by the way, if that's the, that's the solution, you know, you shouldn't feel ashamed of doing it. You know, there's the whole sunk cost fallacy, but I think you have to be thoughtful around what are the bones that we know are not going to change, you know, for this business to be successful. So um, for us, right, we, you know, bundling transportation and sort of warehousing storage was going to be very critical. And so that's something that we could build in a little more robust way and in a foundational way, because we knew that for the business to work or for the thesis to have any hope of surviving, that those were going to have to be things that uh, that stood the test of time. You know, there are other things like the the front end, uh, you know, the marketing side, the sales side, that you really want to leave uh, flexible, and you want to leave you know the ability to test, uh, to test and change because how you go to markets, uh, what copy, and I know you know this as a digital marketing expert. You know, what's the copy? Uh, what's the intent, you know, of the user? Where do people get hung up in the user experience? Those are things that you really don't want to be wedded to. You know, there are some things where you really need to sort of stick your, you know, foot in the foot in the ground and, you know, take a strong position on. But um, for the rest, you need to uh, have strong opinion, have strong opinions, but hold them weakly, means reserving the right to change your mind or change it at a later date. Um, Good. But yeah. yes, you, you you definitely do need to get an MVP up at some point because, I mean, the biggest thing is just getting started. You know, the, a lot of companies fail from the whiteboard, you know, and the ideation to you just got to take that first step. Like call that developer, call WebChoice UK, right, and just like get an estimate. Like just see what is actually going to cost to do it because by taking those steps, you'll actually get the ball rolling where – if you're just talking about it, that can be an endless, endless loop that ultimately no action ever really comes from. Yeah. And we could dedicate a whole podcast just to pre-planning. Um, but we'll sure. try and we'll try and kind of get into some some more in terms of the marketing and running the sales as well in a bit. Business Growth Show is sponsored by Vidyard. Tommy was tired of cold calling and emailing his prospects and getting little to no response. He signed up for a free Vidyard account allowing him to send personalized video emails and messages to his leads and contacts and saw results almost immediately. People loved the personalized approach and the fact he took the time to send a custom video explaining his offer and his solution. And as a result, he stood out from his competitors 
filled his calendar with quality appointments and smashed his sales targets. Sign up for your free Vidyard account today at vidyard.com forward slash BGS. That's vidyard.com forward slash BGS. The show is also sponsored by Web Choice. Are you tired of hunting for clients? You could be missing out on regular inbound opportunities all because your website isn't on the first page of Google. Perhaps you're already spending money on marketing, but your website is failing to convert your hard-earned visitors into a consistent flow of leads and sales. Want to learn more about WebChoice's unusual approach that brings idle clients straight to you? Book a free digital marketing assessment today at webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. When we're at the stage of interviewing, so we've done our friends and family, then we want to get on some cold prospects, potential mm-hmm. customers that don't know about our business. So they're not going to show us love. They're going to us the blunt truth. If we are getting pretty negative feedback and we've interviewed a considerable amount of people, even though we love this project, we love this idea, we love this business, and we've perhaps spent a lot of t- spare time working on it, should we ditch it and move on to something that the market do like? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's, there's two options. You just ditch it fully and go in a completely different direction, or you really need to go back to the drawing board. Uh, just sort of think about, you know, for some people, you know, the idea is at a stage of, I know there's a hole in this market, right? I know there's an underserved piece of this market. I know there's a pain point and maybe the way that you chose to attack it and pitch it just isn't the right way. You know, if you're confident that there is a problem to be solved, you may just go back to the drawing board and think about uh, a different way of approaching it. Um, you know, if not, it's, you know, if the feedback you're getting is, yeah, it's like sort of annoying, but, you know, I just do this or, you know, I've yeah. got this, uh, you know, I've got this workaround or, you know, I found someone that solves this problem. That might be a sign that uh, you need to go, you know, let it, let it, let it go. And, and, and that can be painful, right? Especially if you've invested a lot of time, a lot of mental energy, I would say, though, look on the bright side uh, to anyone who's ever done that, simply going through the exercise of uh, thinking about the company, interviewing people. It's often going to stimulate your brain and your thinking such that uh, your idea is either going to be much, much more improved or it's going to lead you to something better that ultimately um, was meant to be right. It was better off. It was better off for you. So I wouldn't, you know, the other big thing with entrepreneurial you know, pursuits is you really have to have a good way of reconciling failure because you will fail all the time. I mean, you're literally uh, trying to discover something that's novel and there's no playbook. There's no way to, uh, there's no rules to follow. There's management books. Don't, don't listen to them, right? They don't really provide any practical feedback. Um, You're ultimately just going to have to have confidence in yourself, but you know, the ability to, recognize that failure is really just a stepping stone to a success that'll happen later on that you just can't see yet good no i like it i like it um okay so let, let's pretend in this instance that our idea has got some some good feedback we've not had to ditch it mm-hmm. how taking that first leap john i mean do you think that providing we've we've got some kind of funding whether we've bootstrapped it fully and we've got perhaps our own money saved up or we've got friends and families or a combination or, or we've gone the venture capitalist route and they've given us a big sum of money yeah do we just go all in with ourselves if it's just us or our partner and just start throwing money at marketing itself or do we keep it so, small so perhaps we keep our nine to five job and we slowly work on it in the evenings and weekends what would you advise if is there one route 
No, no, there isn't, there isn't one route. Um, you know, some people are fortunate enough to be able to, uh, quit and go full time. Um, you know, those people will likely not be able to take a salary for six to nine months. Um, I was fortunate enough to have had a, a nice career, you know, prior there and, uh, and that saved a lot of money. So I was able to, um, quit, go full time. You know, I did get a job waiting tables, uh, at a, at a Mexican restaurant, uh, you know, from like 6 PM to 11 for the first couple of months, just so I didn't burn through all my personal capital. I do think that if you can, uh, if you can devote all your time to it and you can make the numbers work, I would certainly recommend doing that. Um, you know, you just may have to you know, reconcile yourself to rice and beans, you know, for, for like six to nine months, but sometimes, Hey, that's what it takes. Like, it's not, it's not easy. Um, you know, yeah. So what, what I would say is if you're fortunate enough to be able to do that, you know, or if you can find a way to make it work, if you can get some roommates or something, you know, I think devoting all your energy into it will definitely be useful. Um, it also depends on, you know, really the kind of company that you're trying to build, you know, sure. if it's really more technology focused and you don't need to have an operations team, you can, might be able to get by with doing that, with doing that part-time um, yeah. because you really want to get an MVP up and just see our users interested in this, you know, you can somewhat handle support, you know, quote unquote yourself. But if you're trying to build kind of a brick and mortar uh, meat and potatoes business, like 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 the one that I've started that has a lot of moving parts, it would be really it would have been almost impossible to do that while while, while having a full time job. So um, in, in, in any case, yeah, I, I think it depends on your situation. But um, if you can go all in, you know, and not uh, not fear for your life, you know, that uh, that that's what I would recommend doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, got it, man. So, let's say we we have gone all in. What are some of the first things we nailed to got to nail down? And appreciate this is going to be subjective, depending on sure. the sector, the vertical you're in. Yeah. Um, but what are some of the the kind of core basics that we've got to think about in terms of lining up our marketing, lining yeah. up our sales, and bringing this thing to market? Really. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, you know, I read something the other day that like 40 to 50% of like young startups revenue goes towards like Google and Facebook, right. For like Google ads and that sort of thing, which is sort of a ridiculous number. Um, but yep. there is a reason why those avenues are, are used well. Um, you know, traditional sort of brick and mortar marketing, whether it's TV, radio, billboards, signage, those typically only work at scale. Right. So like if anybody's trying to pitch you on radio ads or targeted TV or, you know, whatever it is, I would say just put your blinders on and don't don't move forward with that. You know, at the early stages, you really are testing. You may, you don't even know what turns of phrase, right, are going to resonate with your customers. So, you know, any sort of big expensive campaigns, you want those nailed down. You want confidence that you know what people are going to respond to, that you can credibly sort of advertise and on all those sorts of things. I would definitely recommend um, starting small. You know, the other thing to consider is that if you, you know, all of a sudden blow out some big marketing campaign and you have all these customers in your lap, that may be a bad thing if you're not ready to handle it. Uh, because ultimately you only get, you know, one shot, maybe two at impressing your customers. And if you ruin your brand by, you know, filling up the funnel and then not being able to execute, um, you know, you might, you might shoot yourself in the foot, you know, before the thing even gets off the ground. So I would, uh, I would dip my, I would dip my toe in something like, uh, like Google ads. I would test, you know, 
wildly different, you know, ad copies. I would keep those cost per clicks really low, see what, see what tends to convert. Um, and that way you can sort of conserve, you know, conserve your capital and use it and use it wisely. Once you've got a good, decent sample size, you know, call it a month, maybe, you know, month and a half, you know, something like that. Um, you know, then, then that's when I would start, you know, pouring, pouring the dollars into it, but definitely, definitely start small because you can get yourself into trouble if you, uh, if you just open the floodgates without having a good handle on it. Yeah. 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 So talking about things like ads. So, I mean, is, is that, is that kind of what you did and what you recommend John is obviously with things like Google ad, was it something that you can measure? Well, you can do a good test of, and you can understand what your cost per click is going to be per ad, what your cost per acquisition or cost per lead or cost per sale, depending on what you're offering, whether it's a product or a service-based business. Sure. Um, are there other things that people should obviously marketing's a, a massive term yeah. as a sales outreach? Should should we be looking to do some kind of cold outreach at the same time whilst we're looking at kind of perhaps paid spend to get inbound? Or yeah. is it is it come to the point where that's in your opinion not not worthwhile? Or? Yeah. If you're if you're uh, if you're if your target clients are B2B, I ideally you're you're selling into businesses, mm. you know, and you're the founder, you are your company's own best salesman. Um you know, I, yeah, yes, you want to get, you know, the funnel filled with marketing, but um, cold outreach, networking, I mean, it all sounds really old fashioned, but, um, you know, there are things you could do online, like using LinkedIn, you know, uh, Sam, I know you put out a great guide uh, for LinkedIn, you know, outreach and what's the best way to do that. Been extremely helpful for us, but I would definitely, you know, use that as a way to, you know, network. At the end of the day, having you know CEO, co-founder, you know just anything with a C in front of it is going to let you have conversations that maybe you you know can't get if you're you know a senior account executive, sales and marketing. So I think you know founders really underestimate their ability to go out and sell, and really you are your company's best salesman. You're going to be more passionate about the company than anybody you hire. You're going to know the thesis, you know, better than anyone that you could ever hire because it is your baby, right? You have built it. And so you can speak about it the way that a parent, right, or a, uh, a proud mom or dad, you know, cares about their kid winning winning a trophy. So I think that that kind of enthusiasm is contagious. You know, I would say get out of the get out of the office. You need to get out there and network with people. You know, COVID's starting to subside, so that's a little bit easier now. But I would look for you know, networking opportunities. It could be your local chamber of commerce. You know, again, it sounds old fashioned, but those those kinds of relationships really play dividends. And in the B two B side, all it takes is one. You know, all you need to do is is get the right client on board, the right customer who wants to take an interest in you, and uh, you're off to the races. I probably shouldn't say this, but one of my best clients to date, believe it or not, was back when I was working for a startup. This is probably spinning back about four years ago. Um, and this wasn't Web Choice. This was before I came back to Web Choice as a co-founder, as a co-owner, sorry. And um, this was cold calling. So I was cold calling like a few hours every day, literally till I was dripping in sweat and um, <laughs> skipping lunch breaks and all that good stuff because I had no cash at the time. So I was just trying to get as many sales meetings as I could. And one of the best clients I've still got, I still work with, um, I spent thousands and thousands with us on various web projects, it was from a cold call from a relationship that I started on a cold call, met them a couple times in, in London, and just over time that relationship's nurtured. We still, digital marketing is still our best way to get clients inbound, but that's just funny that that cold call over time played off dividends 
Um, so sometimes, like you say, these one unusual way of reaching out to people, whether it's networking, whether it's something else, is can pay off the yeah. long run. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, one other thing that I didn't mention is when you're starting something, you like, like you say, you're skipping lunch, you're calling all the time. There is a little bit of a desperation factor, especially if you're bootstrapped. Um, I mean, VC funded either. You've only got a certain amount of runway, right? I mean, you've really got to make it happen. People fall into the trap of, you know, what can you do for me? You know, me, 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 me. I'm reaching out to people and saying like, help me, you know, save me, right? <laughs> like uh, at the end of the day, it is a transactional relationship. The best thing that you can do when you're selling and cold calling is offer them something in return. You know, every call should end with like, thank you so much for the call. What can I do for you? How can I help you? What can I provide you? And it can be like very big things or it can honestly be really small things. I think it plays into human psychology. You know, we were meeting with, you know, one of our peers here in the Atlanta market. Um, and it's a very sort of... Um, Incestual is not the right word, but like we <laughs> share clients, you know, everybody kind of knows yeah. whose clients are whose, you know, if I've got a warehouse, I have a very finite box, right, into which I can fit clients. At some point, I'm going to run out of space, right? Or I'm going to run out of capacity. And so I want to be able to call, uh, you know, someone down the street um, and say, hey, I can share your business. I can share some business um, with the hope that they're ultimately going to do it in return. Or, uh, you know, we haven't had the, that problem yet in the sense where we've had to send one of our customers somebody else's way, but there are more mature companies who might be able to throw you a bone, right, as a small startup. And so you can try to do something for them. In this one particular example, we had found this incredible vendor, uh, you know, that does a very specific piece of the logistics process really well. They've got a comparative advantage. They do it more cheaply and better than anyone else. You know, we yep. asked them what they were spending on the specific process and it was like 4X what we were spending. And so wow. we said, you know, hey, have you guys tried, uh, this com particular company is called J&E, have you guys tried J&E, right, for, for, for your lumping and breaking loads and that sort of thing? You know, this is their price for container. We're super impressed with them. And, you know, someone from J&E went over to, you know, one of our peers. You know, they initiated a contract like two days later. And almost a week after that, you know, they called us up and said, thank you so much for that introduction. It's helped us tremendously. You know what? I think actually I do have something coming up that I can send you, right? And so, you know, you really have to think about what are those ways, even small ways, it could be something as small as recommending a vendor, you know, to help something and not necessarily expect something in return. Now, of course, you're playing the long game and you're hoping for something that comes in return. But um, the more that you can provide value and help uh, either your, your clients or potential prospects or so on and so forth, just the human psychology of, uh, wow, they really did me a solid, you know, I see them as equal, you know, maybe to, you know, the other vendors in the space, but you know what, they really helped me out and did me a solid. So I'm going to send them my business. Again, that sounds old fashioned. Um, you know, really the techniques for sales and marketing have changed in terms of just reach technology, you know, all those sorts of things, but the foundational psychology of it is the same. And I think, People in our generation, and I say our, I'm 31, right? I'm a millennial. Um, 
I think people really can lose sight of that. They just think if I can, you know, get clicks to site and I can, you know, look at all these metrics, which are very important. It's extremely foundational. It's extremely important, but you can't lose sight of ultimately uh, you have to be in your decision makers head and you have to provide value to those decision makers. I love that that point about giving without expectation. So even if you can't help someone today, giving them perhaps some useful advice or literally asking how, how I can help you or giving them as a useful resource. I um, I never used to do that, but I did um, like recently. I'm lucky that I've got a lot of resources. So I do a lot of LinkedIn. I've obviously got the podcast. So quite often I can point people maybe to perhaps certain podcast episodes that might be of use to them or hand them a, a useful guide or most the chances are your business has probably got something that might help them. So if they say, look, I need actually, yeah, I could do with help with X, Y, Z. Think about if you've got an existing resource or think about if you can point them to someone or if you've got a partner company in your case, like you said, John, and that is a really good way to get your foot in the door. And the chances are once, if they do find that of use, they'll come back and it'll, it'll help you in the long run. So that's, yeah, people people are shocked at, at how effective it is. I mean, I think I can probably hear the skepticism, right, and all of the listeners right now just saying, like, <laughs> you know, so like you're telling me I could just win business by, um, you know, helping out a client without any expectation in return, and the answer is yes. And there's data to prove it. Just my personal experience proves it. I think your personal experience, you know, Sam proves it as well. So Definitely. I think. Um, you know, there's a place for numbers and data and quant, and that's my background, and I believe in it, and you have to have it, and it's really table stakes. But I would advise young founders to, uh, even if you don't think you can give much, there's always something that you can give. There's always a favor you can pull. There's always uh, there's always something that you can do that's ultimately going to make you more memorable. Cool. Well, we're, we're coming up to time, John, but we'll probably get you back on in the future to cover some of these topics in a bit more detail. Wow, that um, went by fast. I feel like I just started. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we've, we've touched on kind of the things you need to think about before you grow the business. We've talked about the early stages. We've talked about think about marketing. Um, when it comes to when it comes to growth, when it comes to perhaps looking to take on your first sales guy or whether you take on a marketer or whatever you decide to go on, how do you know when it's the right time? When is, when is too soon or when is too late? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So uh, that's a great question. So in our experience, and this goes actually back to pivoting and listening to the clients. So we originally conceived our company to be a direct-to-consumer, uh, self-storage. I go pick up your um, personal effects. It could be couch, a couch, a bed, a dresser, you know, clothes, and we're going to go pick that up and come into storage. What eventually started happening were businesses were just find us organically and just think, and they, they kept telling us like, you know, this isn't exactly what I need, but what you have, you know, which is, you know, innovative software that can track my inventory, uh, a warehouse, trucks, and the ability to manage those logistics, you know, no one's really serving us. Like I'm having to piece together all these different vendors to kind of do this. And we just started thinking like, okay, there's, there's something here. It eventually grew to about 15% of our revenue, business, B2B, you know, as opposed to direct-to-consumer, which we had originally conceived the company to be. At that point, you know, we started thinking, okay, B2B, um, this is growing without us really even trying. Let's see what happens if we can really juice it, you know, with, with a salesperson. I guess the operative lesson for that is, you know, I would refrain from hiring a sales resource until you feel like you've really nailed 
that value that value proposition. So like we talked earlier in the podcast of being open to changing your mind to um, you know maybe letting go of the original concept and moving in the direction of what clients want. I would think only at that point where you know you really feel confident that you've nailed that, you've listened to the market, this has legs and I know who exactly I need to sell into. That's when you hire your first salesperson because you know again as we stated earlier as the founder, you are your best salesperson. At the end of the day, you can speak to the company at a level really that nobody else can. And you need to really use yourself as a testing ground to find that niche, find that uh, you know offering to the market. And then once you feel confident that you've nailed it, then it's time to go ahead. And you know, really, you know, you hear the phrase add fuel to the fire. You know, you have to have a fire first. So once you're once you're confident in that, that's when you bring in sales. You know, that's when you can start pumping the marketing. Uh, but there's a lot of work that foundational work that has to go into place uh, before you do that. Because at the end of the day, you when you do that, there's no going back. You know, you likely have very little cash in the bank. Uh, you likely have very little runway left, and you have to execute and hit it, or you know you're going to be you're going to be going to zero really really fast. So um, not to scare anyone, uh, it's you know to scale to scale and grow. You have to have sales, you have to have marketing, but you can get into trouble if you do it be- be- before you're ready. So uh, really really put in the time yourself as the founders, you know, or the early people in the company to you know find that niche, test all of your hypotheses, and then once you've once you're confident, that's when you that that's when you start pouring it on. Yeah, I love that point. And I love the point that the founder or the founders are the best salespeople because they know the product inside out. They've researched the market. They know what the USP is. They know what the benefits are. They know how the problem it fixes. So they literally know everything about it. So I think a lot of founders are perhaps, or some that I've spoke to are perhaps skeptical skeptical about selling themselves. And they think that they need a sales team straight away. So I think that's one of the big myths that needs to be really kind of busted. And yeah. You, if you're not willing to get your hands dirty, you're not going to succeed. Just, you know, and that's the other thing that if you're coming from a large company like I did, you have supporting infrastructure, right? You have people that handle, right, things that you never even thought of. Mm -hmm. Um, And as a founder, you know, if you're thinking that you're going to try to bootstrap a company, but you're just going to like sit in the office and, you know, direct people and just, you know, act the way you did at your prior job, you know, I guarantee you that 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 you're going to fail. Uh, you've got to get out there. You've got to put in the time. And it's really hard too, because when you're running the company, you're worried about operations, you're worried about finance, you're worried about money in the bank, but you have to get out there in a sales effort uh, and sell and sell the company, sell yourself, sell the vision. Uh, people are drawn to that too. I mean, if you're people intuitively, I think, admire entrepreneurial, you know, pursuits. Um, and you can argue whether they should or not, but I think that, you know, as a rule, I think they do. They admire the risk taking, the confidence, the vision. And I think you'll be surprised at the amount of people that'll be willing to talk to you, uh, the amount of people that'll be open with you and, you know, really want to help you if you can, you know, help them. Um, so I, again, I would think all, all founders should know that, you know, the best, the best thing you can do is, is, uh, is get out there early on, save the money, save the cash, validate your hypothesis, validate your idea. Uh, and then only after that has happened, then you start, you know, hiring a team. Love it. 
solid advice john and with that thank you very much for coming on the show really really enjoyed the the chat massively useful for myself and i'm sure everyone that's tuned in please do tell us more sir about how we can learn from you how we can connect with you and how we can do business with you <laughs> yeah absolutely so uh we uh we're located, our URL is uh, www.porter-logistics.com. Uh, we are located in Atlanta, Georgia, one of the logistics biggest uh, logistics hubs in the U.S. Uh, we, do cl- we do business with clients from all over the world, whether it's the U.K., Middle East, Africa, um, really any, anywhere uh, across the globe. Uh, you can reach out to me at john, J-O-H-N, at porter dash logistics.com again that's john at porter dash logistics.com if you're interested in logistics you know feel free to reach out but you know i'm always up to just talk about sales marketing um you know u.s football uh you know the the correct football uh around the globe i I should say i listen to uh, him yeah and that no no no, i know i'm i'm saying you 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 guys have it correct oh Oh, good football soccer good yeah that's right no (laughs) i uh i do soccer's catching on here in the u.s you know i'm I'm telling you i'm telling you we're not quite premier league yet (laughs) but uh we're getting we're getting better so hopefully hopefully in our lifetimes we'll see some transatlantic you know real real matchups but uh but yeah please feel free to reach out happy to uh happy to help any young founders if you need advice or if you think you may want to do business also happy to discuss that as well nice one john we'll put all of those links in the episode notes that will be available at businessgrowth.marketing and with that i want to thank you once again sir really appreciate the conversation yeah absolutely thanks for having me and uh have a good rest of your evening No worries, dude. And if you enjoyed the show, be sure to hit subscribe for Business Growth Show, wherever the heck you get your podcasts. We interview two business leaders each and every week to provide actionable tips across marketing, across sales, all with a goal to help you grow your revenue and grow your business. And we will catch you on the next episode. Cheers for tuning in.